Gale's open, they're away in the Golden Slipper, there's a great start, and Mick Mid Basque on the extreme outside is about the first out. Jackler on the outside, lunging, but Catlin opening just in front, Jackler trying desperately, can't reach him. Catlin opening has lasted to win the Doncaster by a hit to Jackler. This I podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. Entries are now open for the 2021 Inglis Select Yearling Sales Series. The series will again comprise five sales. Classic, Premier, Easter, Gold and the Hunter Thoroughbred Breeders Association May Yearling Sale to be held at Riverside in Sydney and Oaklands Junction in Melbourne. Each of the three primary sales, Classic, Premier and Easter, will retain their regular places on the sales calendar. Following its success this year, the Scone sales will be moved permanently to Riverside on May 2nd and May 3rd and will be rebranded the HTBA Yearling Sale. The Gull Sale in Melbourne will be held on May 16th. To discuss the placement of your yearlings, contact a member of the English Bloodstock team. The record books show that Greg Ryan's first winning ride was really only half a win. It was early in 1991 at Wellington in New South Wales and he rode a horse called Standard Time which dead-heated with Accumulo ridden by Billy Aspros. As Greg came back to scale that day after his shared success, he never would have dreamed that 29 years later he would sail past the 4,000 career win mark on Australian racetracks. Only the evergreen Robert Thompson, now in his early 60s and still very active, has ridden more winners than Greg Ryan. Eleven times he's been leading rider in the entire state of New South Wales. 22 times leading New South Wales country jockey and five times number one jockey in the nation. He broke Darren Beedman's state record as far back as 1997-98 and posted his own personal best figures in 2002-03 with 216 for the season. His record in country New South Wales feature races is monumental. One example, the Gilgandra Cup 10 times. Greg Ryan has the respect of owners, trainers, administrators and media wherever he goes on the New South Wales Country Racing Network. This is a long overdue tribute to a man who has established an iconic reputation in New South Wales country racing. Greg Ryan, I'm delighted to welcome you to our Supernova Sound podcast. Thanks for your time. Thank you, John. Well, Greg, that's an astonishing record for a bloke who started his working life as a motor mechanic. Yeah, it was, uh, yes, it's just funny how fate turns out. Um, just a chain of events uh, led me to riding and, um, and uh, when I first started riding, I, I sort of, I didn't imagine that it would, the career would span so long and, and, um, and I'd have the success I had. And uh, mm. it's just one of those things that are just fate, you know. You've never forgotten the lessons of your previous life as a mechanic. And your wife, Pauline, was telling me the other day, when it comes to vehicles or machinery or appliances, you name it, you can fix anything. Well, if I can't, I try and sit down and figure out how I can. But um, mm. 
But yeah, I don't uh, because I was a mechanic. I didn't start riding till I was twenty five, and so a late beginner. But I, I really think it was a great asset to me to do my trade, mm-hmm. um, not just for being the things I'm able to do now, but the appreciation of um, of being an ordinary worker yeah. to being a successful rider, knowing what it's like to work for a little money. And and just and not only that, being a tradesman, the help the help it gives you with your mind to um be a problem solver, mm. um you know it's it's something I don't regret doing at all. Mm. Your son Isaac is an arborist by trade, and only recently he purchased his very first truck. Now you've had the overalls out of storage, I believe. And you've been bringing that truck up to scratch. That's a nice change of pace. Yeah, well, we, he, he's done five years in the in the game, and uh, and I said, you know, well, how about we get some gear together and you can have a crack on your own? So mm. we bought uh, we've got two old trucks, uh, and we've got an old chipper and old stump grinder, and bought old gear, and mm. um, and with a bit of tinkering and a bit of maintenance, it's all up and going very well, and um. And he's been at it for oh, I'll be pushing two years now, and um, and it's just continually building to um, to be a good little business for him, and uh, right. yeah, so that so that trade's coming very handy for that for sure. Yeah. And you haven't minded one bit uh, getting some grease under the fingernails again. No, it's sort of a uh, you know you get a, a sense of satisfaction. Um, I, 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 do, I get a lot of satisfaction out of like of I can build a few things and repair a few things and um, just to sit down and put the time into it and then sit back and look at the end result, um, it gives me a lot of satisfaction. You're not doing quite the number of meetings you've covered in the old days, <coughs> but you're still travelling pretty big mileage. For instance, last week you were at Musselbrook on the Monday, Scone on Friday, and you drove to both places from Dubbo. Yeah, and we, we, we went to the Kosciuszko uh uh, another Saturday. That's uh, a bit over five. Um, yeah, but I, I'm not doing anywhere near the. There's a lot of blokes doing what I'm doing now. Um, mm. But uh, I'm not doing anywhere near the miles that I was doing back in that era that you talked about earlier when I was uh, trying to, um, uh, well, beat uh, Robbo's national title, yeah. um, which I did. I don't remember what it was. It was I rode 206 wins, I think it was. Mm. Uh, and then Robbo went around me the year after I think it was, and um, and then I had and then not meaning to, but um, I had a lot of success in that year that you said it was two thousand three, was it? Um, uh, where things built up and got to the last couple of months of uh, of that season, and yeah. the media sort of took over a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. you know, can you break Robbo's record again? And and uh, and it all turned into a bit of hype, and the clubs were ringing me up saying, can you come over here? Can because there was a bit of a media profile as to whether I break um, Robbo's record, and mm. you wouldn't want to credit it. Come to the last 31st of July, mm. Coffs Harbour, um, I'm pretty sure I rode the first winner of the day mm. to equal Alan's record, yeah. and then went the whole day without riding winner, and then the very last day of the season, the very last race of the season, um, I rode a horse for Kenny Lantry. Mm. Which uh, got back to last and come down the outside and bloused and put me one in front, mm. and uh, and so then I broke Alan's re- record again. And then the, the, the next year, 
uh, Alan bought an aeroplane and went, went, went around me again, and I put my hands up. I said, no, it's too good, too solid for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, because that, that year, that year the, the miles I drove that year to do that, um, well, it was dangerous for one, and it, it just it, it was very, very exhausting. You were actually born in Sydney, at Bankstown to be precise, but from about 12 years of age you lived with your maternal grandparents at Wellington in New South Wales. Now you tell me your grandma is still alive, Greg. She's 94 years old and still looking after herself. Yeah, she, uh, grand, Grandma uh, Betty, uh, she's a marvel. Um, my father actually says, I don't know what you would have done without her. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but she looked after us from, you know, well, I was 13, but my sister was a little bit older. Uh, but, you know, we sort of, we born in Bankstown, as you say. We, my father bought a commission house in Mount Druitt. Uh, I think it would have been about three or four when we moved there. Mm-hmm. And we lived there until my parents parted. And then uh, my sister and I went to uh, Wellington and we lived with our grandparents. And they rented they rented a very old house. Actually, we rented the back half of the house. Mm-hmm. Um, it was... Uh, you know, and it was a very old home. It would have been about 100 years old, that home. And um, mm. it, it was just, it was wonderful. Um, you know, we didn't have a lot, but they looked after us well. And we this the life had a lot of atmosphere, you know, everything from, you know, going out of the laundry to firing up the copper so we could wash the whites. And, oh, yeah. And, and that's because they only had one. When we were kids, when we went, went to that old house, there was no hot water at all. Mm. Um, we got a we got a fresh jug of water in the bathtub. Each kid had um, uh, hot water, but uh, but then by the time we moved there, we had a uh, we had a hot water for the bath, and yeah. whatever. But yeah, we, we go out the copper and you know even putting clothes for the old ringer and mm. and those sorts of things. They still lived, you know, like a really simple lifestyle for that era because it wasn't that long ago. But um, no, they were, they were just marvelous to us, uh, my grandparents and. And uh, Harry had a, always had a few horses in work, mm-hmm. and and he bought me a pony, and um, and you know, and that was sort of like uh, very good of him because um, we didn't do well for money, mm-hmm. but um, but they, but we did, but we never went without at all. Yeah, Greg, they're wonderful memories, indelible memories, and uh, I, I bet in your quiet times, uh, you think back to those wonderful years. Yeah, it was. Uh, as I say, we, we were fortunate. Like even when I lived in Mount Druitt, we go out in this road. There, every kid had two, three, uh, four kids. Mm. Uh, the games of cricket and football and on out in the street were just wonderful. And yeah. and then when we when we, and in school holiday times, we always went to Wellington with our grandparents. We eventually lived there, and and we rode ponies all around Wellington there, mm. all the time. You know, and it was um and. Probably don't, didn't appreciate as much as I should have done then, but I do now. Mm. But, you know, what we were given was just really good. When you began your indentureship as an apprentice motor mechanic, the thought of becoming a jockey wasn't even on the radar. But after eight years, somebody told you that you could earn more money by working as a stable hand and a work rider at Arthur Baxter's nearby Macquarie Stud. So you went there, uh, you started working for the Baxter family, and uh, how long did that last? 
Uh, I was there for about four months. Um, yeah, I, I could I could make about thirty bucks a week more. Um, <laughs> admittedly, I had to I had to work Saturday Saturdays, but um, yeah. but uh, but still, but that was in the times when uh, the early nineties interest rates, home interest rates. We we not long purchased our first house, mm. built our first house. Yeah, interest rates. You know, people talk about housing affordability, affordability nowadays. Mm. Uh, back in those times, interest rates were eighteen percent. People were paying. Mm. And and you know people were literally walking out of their houses and throwing the keys in the door. They were they were, they were just terrible times. Mm. But uh, yeah, but I went there and um and good little bloke called Mickey Diamond. He was a local rider. Yeah. Uh, he said to me, he said you ought to have a ride. I was riding a bit of work with him, and he, and I thought I would have been too big, but he took me to the races and he showed me a few fellas, uh, Paulie Wern and Darlun and mm. a few blokes riding around the time and. They were um, uh, no bigger than me, and I said, "Oh yeah," and got the idea, and uh, and he, he said, "You know, you know," he said, "You can earn this in your apprenticeship and whatever." I thought, "Geez, I pay me myself quick doing that," and uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah, so I had a, I had a bit of a, a I got it in my heart that I was going to be a writer and yeah. started practicing and all the rest of it, and yeah. And you had to be, as I say, to be a stable here for three months to get signed up. Mm. So I was there for about four months, and and the, Arthur decided that he didn't really want an apprentice. They, the apprentice had just left there; he didn't really want another one. Mm. So I had to. So I had my heart set on it um, by that stage, and um, I went back into town and um, asked my old boss at the Ford dealership, Paul Robinson, um, if I could have my old job back. Yeah. And. Fortunately, uh, Paul, he was a keen race goer. He had, he'd had race horses before, and um, he was a keen race goer, and he said, yeah, that'd be right. I, I told him what I wanted to do. I said, I can get a start with a trainer in town, uh, Mick Willis, his name was. Yeah. And he – but see, everybody wanted a work rider, didn't want an apprentice, didn't want the responsibility. Mm. So I sort of – the agreement I had with Mick was that I was going to go back and get my old job. I don't expect anything out of you. I don't. I don't expect any wages, holiday pay. I pay my own compo, mm. whatever, and uh, and I'll go back and I'll get a quid, um, mechanican. Mm. And so he was agreeable to that, and Robbo was agreeable to give me old job back. So mm. then I started. Yeah. So that that was how I started. And uh, goodness and me, then, but you were you were pretty heavy though by jockey standards. I think you weighed about fifty eight at the time, so you had to get about yep. nine or ten off. And at the yeah. peak of summer, is this true, Greg? I've heard that you'd work away under that iron roof all day in the mechanical workshop with a sweatsuit underneath your overalls. Yeah, well, I'd, uh, I'd, I'd have my tracksuit uh, on underneath the overalls. Um, you know, and come come smoko time, you go into the smoko room and the boys would be sitting there chewing into a hamburger with the works and... Uh, I, I might have an orange or in a bit of water, just sip on a bit of water, and um, and they used to say to me, "See, you, you're mad. You, why would you want to do that for?" <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, but I, but I slogged that out, and uh, and it kept me going, and um, and it was it was a rough start because I really, as I say to apprentices nowadays, mate, if you're doing it too tough, mm. just ride a bit heavier. But because I, I learned from that mistake, because I was. I had to get down to because the limit was fifty two in the bush, mm. claiming free off that forty nine. Yeah, there was, there was no allowance for the vest. Uh, we didn't have the titanium mines and the carbon fibre trees and saddles and what do we got nowadays. Mm. 
So I, I had to get down to about 47 to be able to ride 49. And I was struggling to, to get a ride as it was, so I, I wanted to be able to ride the limit to get a ride. Mm. But I was that weak on the horse. Well, yeah. um, mm. I didn't do myself any favours. Mm. Uh, yeah, so so that was a, that was a really uh, – to waste down that, that light was a real slog. And, I, you know, um, as I say, if I see an apprentice struggling really to the extent now where he's not doing himself any favours, just, mm. just ride a little bit heavier. Good advice. Yeah. Now, Greg, mm. I mentioned in the introduction that uh, your first win was only half a win on standard time at Wellington. Billy Aspros rode the other dead heater, and Billy at that time was at the top of his game. He was a dominant force in the Western Districts and the Central West. In fact, on that particular day at Wellington, it was a six-race card. He rode the other five winners and dead heated with you. He rode. He virtually rode the program. Yeah, he was. Uh, he did. He rode the program, uh, and he's fortunate to do so because um, I absolutely slaughtered my horse. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, to the, to the extent where the chief steward Ned Doherty uh, called me in the room and said, uh, he, "He said, where's your whip?" And I said, "It's in the room." He said, "Go and get it." Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went and got it, and he snatched it out of my hand. He said, don't ask for a back to you can sit down and ride him out of hands and heels. He said, that all should have bowled him. <laughs> he did he <laughs> really, yeah. I, I was all, all over it, uh, you, you know, like a rash, and, and it, I'd come down the straight like a drunken sailor, and mm. it, the horse should have clearly won. So Billy was a bit fortunate, but good on him. He was a very, very good rider at the time. And uh, Deb was a competent rider in his, in his own right, and, um, and he could see, you know, where I was going wrong and mm. – and, uh, you know, put the fear of God into me and sort of got me straightened out a bit. Mm. Ned Doherty had been a very capable rider in his own right, Greg, and he would sneak to Sydney every now and again. I can remember Ned Doherty winning a race at Rose Hill one day uh, on a horse that landed a fairly substantial betting plunge and the horse was called Dunny Do, funny thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, Ned, uh, not... not uh, not much got past Ned's eye. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he he definitely knew. He, he could see everything. He could read a race. Um, he he was a hard steward, but he was a good steward. And he and uh, and you know a lot of people say, oh, you know, he's an old cranky old so and so. But <laughs> but um, but he knew when he said something, it was coming from experience, and he knew what he was yeah, talking about. Absolutely. Now, very early days. You couldn't get a ride in the WDRA or the Central West, so you had to go further west. And you cut your teeth at places like Burke and Walgett, Cobar, Broken Hill, so you learned to look after yourself pretty quickly. Yeah, there was um, more so the Central, you know, Bathurst area, Orange, Central Districts, you know, couldn't get a ride. Uh, and so, yeah, I went out west. Um, to places like Burke and that, and, you know, they had an old corrugated iron tin shed for the jockey's room, mm. and uh, the runner rail was two-inch water pipe with couplings every <laughs> every post, and if you got put up it, mate, your foot was ringing. Yeah. Um, the couplings were hitting the foot. But, uh, yeah, but, I, but those people were very good to me. Um, mm. They gave me rides and uh, where, where I couldn't get any anywhere else. And um and it was those those meetings were terrific. Jeez, I, I enjoyed them. Though it was just a great atmosphere out in the west. Um, 
low key, uh, low pressure. Yeah. And um, met some rode for some wonderful people, and uh, yeah, and they got me started. They got me out there, got me getting a little bit of experience. Yeah. And um, you know, it, it's there's not as much racing out there as there is now, but it's, it's a great place to cut your teeth. It wasn't long, Greg, before the ride started to flow in your home region and you quickly settled into your winning ways. Now, you watch the successful riders very closely to try to determine why they were winning most of the races and you had just a few role models back in that era. Who were they? Yeah, well, the, the good riders at the time, well, Billy Rasboss was a champion rider. Uh, but he was a different build to me and a lot stronger than me because of the lightweight and that. And, um, and he had a very aggressive style of riding and he, he was a good-looking fellow on a, on a horse. Mm. And, um, and I thought I can't really add to that style. So I more paid attention to uh, both Matthew and Michael Carl, oh, yeah. um, very good riders, and, uh, um, and they had a uh, adaptable for me. Mm. And uh, so I sat down and, and thought about, you know, how they uh, ride and, and also Wayne Wheat. He was yeah. a champion rider in the West. Um, Wayne's a very good rider and looked at his style. And one of the other things that sort of like helped me out, and a bit funny thing, it sounds stupid, um, a bloke gave me a book, um, uh, a bloke called John Hislop wrote it. Mm-hmm. And his mentor was Scobie Breezley. And, um, and he was a champion rider, a champion amateur rider in England. Uh, mm. John Hislop, and um, this book had some really good tactical uh, knowledge and ideas, and uh, talked a lot about horsemanship. Mm. Uh, hands talked about you know about having nice hands on a horse, and uh, and that also helped me um, start to, you know, I had I, I developed this um, idea which I still I still do, but it's sort of harder to a- apply it in racing today, of. A lot of the times, less is better on, on a horse. Mm. Uh, smooth, and that's why I sort of looked at the Carl's, Carl boys a little bit. They were smooth riders, mm. uh, Wayne E. Wheat. You know, just give them a nice smooth transition in running, get cover, get your position smoothly, you know, uh, shift smoothly, everything, get the horse striding out, get in the slipstream, pop off, pop off, you know, sort of like mm. leave, leave your run a little bit late if there's good speed on. and um, yeah, and, 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 and I just was riding, it, it just found it, you know, the winners just kept coming with that, with that, with that um, yeah, idea you, of riding. Your style evolved, for want of a better word. It just slowly happened. Yeah. Um, I, I really think, uh, you know, whether I should say it or not, uh, in, in today's racing scrutiny from the social media and that sort of stuff, it's it's a lot harder to to ride that style. Um, uh, you know, if you get held up on one or something or other, you know, the, the scrutiny to the riding, you know, I think has gone a bit far. Mm. Um, I was actually talking to Huey Bowman about this uh, one day after races. You know, if, you know, if you saw like you try, you're trying to ride a nice run and get held up, you know, there's a lot of explaining to do. Anyway, put it that way. Mm. But um, but I think I think it is the the idea of that of that smoothness is the right way to to win races. Every now and again, you'll get beat, and uh, and as one of the comments of Scobie Breezley was in his book, he said, "You might get beat every now and again 
riding like this. He said, but you'll win more than you lose. Did he? Yeah. Uh, yeah so you know, I think that was more acceptable in probably Scobie Breezley's time mm. um, than what it is in, in today's time, yeah. Yeah, Scobie didn't live in the era of social media. It's very different. Yes, that's right. That's right, yeah. So, yeah. Greg, you had a, a an enormous run from the mid-90s to the late-90s and felt you should probably give the metropolitan scene one quick little shot. Now, you turned up in Sydney with a very strong reputation. You were a regular at Randwick track work, and it wasn't long before some very high-profile trainers were starting to put you on, and you actually rode winners for Gay Waterhouse, Bart Cummings, John Size, Graham Rogerson, Graham Begg, several others. You were here for four months all up, but you were missing the country life, and so was Pauline. Have you ever yeah. ever regretted the fact that you didn't hang in just a little bit longer? Not really, John. Um, I was uh, enticed down there. I sort of approached to go down there by Darren Beedman's manager. Um, John Kerwick. John Kerwick, yeah. yeah. Mm. He enticed me down there. To, to, yes, he, did. he must have been watching me ride. He said, you should have a go and all the rest of it. Mm. And uh, anyways, I thought, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a go, yeah. And um, so we went down there and I sort of, you know, and if I had, I didn't really have the correct mindset to be there at that time. Um, didn't really cope with the hype much and the pressure as such and um, it didn't suit me. And uh, and even even now, sitting here now, you say, oh, did I ever regret not giving another? I don't think it ever would have suited me. Um, I just, um, it's not really me. Uh, I'd rather things a bit quieter, a bit low P. Mm. I'm not, I'd, people that really know me know that I'm not that sort of upbeat sort of a bloke. Um, I, I, I'd rather keep things a little bit simple. Um, yeah. But I was given the opportunity. I was given the opportunity to um, to do well. There's there's no one to blame but myself. Um, I didn't. I didn't ride as well as I was before I went there at, the, at the level. Um, uh, but you've got to have your heart in it um, mm, no to, to, make, to make it at that level. And, and I was always in two minds, should I be here or should I be back home? Yeah. And, uh, and to have that attitude, it was never going to work. So, yeah, so after four months, we come home, yeah. We've seen very little of you on metropolitan tracks in the last 20 years because – you like to look after your many clients in the bush. Obviously, you've ridden in very few Group 1 races, but you say there was one that got away. You rode a horse yep. called Pursuits one day for John Hawkes in the 1998 Epsom, which was won by his stablemate, Dodge. Dodge, yeah. Now, I, I checked it up the other day. Greg, you ran fifth officially, but you Did were only half a length from the winner. And yeah. you're adamant to this day he should have won. Yeah, well, I, I couldn't believe for how long I was up the fence. Um, mm. it, uh, I come back and the my boot was ripped off my foot. Uh, blood was coming out of my toes. Mm. Um, I was put up the fence, I reckon, for two furlongs. And even all about the straight, I was just trying to hold my position, suffering, crowding up the running rail and – as you, I've only been beaten half a length. The horse should have won. Mm. 
And I was I was almost happy that the stable mate beat me because I thought at least that takes a bit of the <laughs> pressure off getting beat. The the camp still won the race, but um yeah, yeah. but it, but pursuit sort of won the race for sure. Yeah, mm. so that it was disappointing. It was disappointing, and I didn't ride the horse bad. Um, just suffered crowding for a lot of the race, and um, uh, just one of them unfortunate things in racing. At what point did the late Keith Swan come into your life? He was a wonderful country trainer. He was based at a place called Summerton, but he often won races in the city. When Keith Swan brought one to town, if they didn't win, they went awfully close. You had a wonderful run with Keith. Yeah, Keith, Keith was unbelievable to me. Uh, Keith and Sue, Sue Grills, he's neat. Mm. Um, they sort of trained together at Summerton. Um, but one day they brought down the first time I rode for him. Uh, I had half a dozen rides for between him and Sue at Gilgandra. And Billy Aspros used to do all piece riding when he came along this line. Mm. And uh, and Billy was suspended. And, and and Keith said, Well, who can I put on? And, and Billy said to Keith, Well, give Ronnie a ride. He said, He's, he's starting to go all right. Mm. And uh, so, uh, Keith rang up and I said, yeah, thanks, Mr. Swan. I ride a lot of them. Mm. Anyways, from recollection, four of them won on, on the day. Yeah. And uh, and um, Which track was that? Gilgandra. Gilgandra, yep. Gilgandra. Mm. And I'm pretty sure a couple of weeks later, I think it was Gunnadar, um, I see he had a heap in. So I never used to go over that way, couldn't get a ride over that way, over the Hunter Northwest. Mm. And um, I thought this might be an opportunity to start getting a few rides over that line. Yeah. And uh, so he had um he had a heap in at Gunnedah, and I rang him up. I said, Mr. Swan, I said, you've got a heap of horses in at Gunnedah. Um, uh, actually, I think Paulie might have rang him up. And um, and he said, he said, listen, when I want you, I'll ring you. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> sort of, Yeah. Yeah, he's straight and, to the point. It, yeah, okay. He was pretty, pretty cold. He was pretty... It's pretty uh, straightforward, and um, anyways, it's sort of like you know brought us back down a cog, and um, we thought we'd go okay after riding four winners for him. And um, mm. anyways, acceptance day, he rang back up. He said, "You still want to come and ride those horses?" Mm. And I said, "Yeah, shoot, yeah." Anyways, so he said, "We'll come and ride them." So I went over, there and and four of them won again. Oh, goodness me! And I thought, surely the goodness I'm in now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, but yeah, but that's how it developed, uh, and we had an unbelievable run, uh, Keith and I and Sue too, yeah. um, and uh, he was a very, very good horse trainer. Mm. Uh, you know, when you when you rode one of these horses, you were on a fit horse. Yeah, and um, he was unbelievable at buying a second hand crop, and they they might come from the city stable, and they'd end up back in town, and yeah, um, yeah he, he could patch a horse up. Mm. Pretty horseman, Keith. Yeah, I, mean, mm. I rode many, many years for a long, long time for him. Yeah. Now, Greg, I'll get you to stand by for a moment. We're going to clear a commitment on the podcast. Back with you in just a jiffy. The result of the fourth edition of the Everest is firmly ensconced in the record books, but the Spring Carnival is just warming up. Saturday, October 31st, we'll see the running of the second Golden Eagle at Rose Hill Gardens, a set weights race for four-year-olds over 1,500 metres, carrying an astonishing purse of $7.5 million. One week after that, 
All roads lead to Newcastle for the second running of the Hunter for three-year-olds and upwards over 1,300 metres, carrying $1 million in prize money. Saturday the 21st of November, the action heads down the coast for the Gong, another million-dollar race for three-year-olds and upwards over the testing Kembla Mile. Savatiano won the Hunter last year, Mr Seawolf won the Gong. Who'll be joining them in the record books this year as huge prize money brings good horses to two famous provincial tracks. If you had to nominate your favourite race, I'll be surprised if you don't plump for the Wellington boot. You've won it four times, three times for Pat Farrell and the most recent, a filly called Miss Invincible for Bjorn Baker. You and Bjorn Baker really hit it off in recent times. Yeah, I had a great trip for Bjorn. Um, he was very good to me also. Uh, yeah, and, and and by the same token, Pat's been very good to me for a lot of years too. Mm. Uh, but the Wellington Boot, um, uh, it was it was a race growing up, like you know, growing up in Wellington and um, and uh, working in Wellington even before I was riding. It was just one of those annual events mm. that the town was packed out for. It was a half day holiday. Uh, and uh, and yeah, the atmosphere was unbelievable to Wellington Boot, and um, it was one of those races. It's all like because it's so iconic to me when I was growing up and and, and living there. A race that I wanted to win, and for a lot of years I couldn't get a ride in the race. But um, mm. but as I got better, uh, I I got more opportunities, and um, yeah, to and it's, it's one of those. The Wellington Boot is one of those meetings where. A lot of people that grew up in Wellington and have since left and moved away to work or whatever, yeah, try to try to get back for that meeting as a as a chance to catch up and um and to walk out of the jockey's room and and after you know having a successful day at the Wellington Boot mm. and to see so many faces that you know that I grew up with at school and um you know and knocked around as a young fellow. Uh, you know, it's just it was just a good atmosphere. Yeah, it's probably my favourite race to win for sure. There'd be very few cups in the WDRA and the Central West and the North West that you haven't won, many of them several times over, as I mentioned in the intro, an astonishing 10 Gilgandra Cups. Now, Greg, I'm just looking at the clock. By crikey, we're, we're having a decent old chat. Uh, <laughs> just looking at a few nice horses you've had the pleasure to ride, We'll just slip through these quickly. A filly called Allart for your old mate yep. Pat Farrell. You won seven races on her, a benchmark 85 at Rose Hill, a listed at Rose Hill, the Reginald Allen, and a Wellington boot. She was a smart filly not too long ago. Yeah, she was a good filly. Um, unfortunately, she sort of like went in the knees mm. um, and it cut her career short. Um, but she was a really nice filly. Could come to hand very quick early in a piece of good galloper, good galloper young. Um, but would have seen more of her, but she, she she got chips in the knees, and um, but she she was a very nice horse to ride. Yeah, Mark Connors put you on a horse called Pimpala Secret a few years ago. You won a benchmark seventy five at Bathurst first up, and then he brought you down to ride him in the listed Hawkesbury Guineas. That was a nice little one to win. Yeah, uh, that was sort of yeah. I won the Soldier's Saddle, the Bathurst Soldier's Saddle, I think. Mm. Uh, and anyways, um, and then he went to the uh, horse for guineas. Yeah. And I was watched the races, and it turned out really well that race because 
the, the riders of the, at the time we at the on that day we opinion the, the the fence was off, mm. and I was looking at the horse thing. I don't think there's any wrong with it. I think I'm just gonna sit here and. Anyways, there was a there was a run sort of like six horses wide turning for home because no one wanted it, mm. and uh, and I didn't think there was any run of it, and there, and there wasn't, and he, and he just went on to win very impressively after getting a very soft run. So mm. he was a nice big strong galloper too. Yeah. yeah. There's another one you mentioned, the Soldier Saddle. I think you've won yeah. that about six times. Yeah, it's been a good race to me also. Yeah, uh, mm. I've got a feeling I might have won on ideal position, the Soldier Saddle. I think. Mm. Um, yeah, and I won on the Inlet Rose Hill too later on. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's been a good race to me also. Yes, you did win a Soldier Saddle on ideal position. Uh, also yeah. a Guri Cup at Mudgee, and uh, a benchmark eighty at Rose Hill. So he was useful. Yeah, he was a good horse, but again. It's it's one thing getting a good horse, another thing keeping him going. He 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 ended up with feet problems, and we didn't get the best of him either. So, mm. unfortunately, are you sure for Cameron Crockett? You won seven races on him. Yeah, yeah, he was a good galloper. Um, he was a he was a nightmare to ride to the barriers. You were happy to get there on most occasions. Way he come out of the enclosure, but um, but he was a good galloper. Yeah, he's um trained by Cameron Crockett. Um, yeah. we had a lot of luck for him. Two for Des Kennedy, he was a prominent um. A prominent uh, country owner, so it was good to ride him too. Mm. Now, Greg, you're better qualified than most to assess the enormous improvement in the standard of country racetracks. Some of them nowadays are the equal of Randwick or Rose Hill when it comes to the geometry and the condition of the racing surfaces. Now, I know you've ridden on some crude old tracks over the years, but currently, You'd have few complaints, I imagine. Yeah, all all the major centres are just really good now. Like pe- people still complain about it. I thought, well, she's you know, short memory. That's <laughs> just a. Or I've I've been around in the days when um when things were rough, mm. uh, uh, you know. But um, but yeah, this the the the, the cambered tracks nowadays, the big tracks are. The mowing and the fertilising program, the racing stuff, Isles have got the curators on. Mm. Um, it's improved tracks tenfold. Um, you know, ride on in the early days, you'd ride on many of your tracks where you, you're happy to stand up on them. Um, but the, the, yeah, the tracks have improved out of sight. Mm. From the many thousands of races you've ridden, there have been a couple of occasions when you were outed because stewards were not satisfied that you'd given the horses in question every opportunity to win. You were very upset in 2014 when stewards charged you with not giving a horse called Grey Zariz every opportunity to win a race at Dubbo. You ran third uh, after restraining the horse back to the tail of the field in the early stages. Now, you believe your explanation was a very feasible one, but it fell on deaf ears. You copped six weeks, and that one still rankles when you think about it. Yeah, I, I don't stew over it too much because it's done, um, but I still don't believe that it was warranted. Um, but I, I don't get upset about these things anymore. As I, uh, as I was saying earlier, I was always of the opinion that smoothness is best, and, and in that particular race, I drew 14 out of 14, and coming into the first corner... The speed was a cracker, and I was still five and six deep. And I thought, at the speed that I'm going and where I am, I know hope, so I come back. And the horse had been 
positioning up there in its previous races, but they were sort of like they were races that was about six in the race and races where no one wanted to go forward. But um, under the stewards' own sectionals, uh, and I, I told the stewards the sectionals can't be right because the horses aren't fast enough to run the time. Mm. Uh, they had a ten and a quarter the first furlong, uh, ten and a half the second, second, and ten and three quarters the third furlong. Mm. And I said, these these horses probably can't run that fast anyway. Mm. But if they could, they couldn't run that fast in the last half of the race. Um, so that was my view on it. Um, and I thought I was warranted to, to ride the – it was justifiable to, to do what I did. Mm. Um, but as you said, it, they they didn't see see the same way. So I, I got that suspension. Um and you know, at the time, it uh, was really upsetting to me. I sort of uh, I was mm. stewing over it. I thought it was an injustice. Mm. But um, but nowadays, you know, I, I look back at those things and and those sorts of things, that sort of adversity, as you if you put it away, I just see it as a way where they they shape your mind to get it into a better state for later on, sort of thing. You know, you mm. you just learn to roll with the punches a bit. Mm. There was one other day you got a little upset. It was at Scone in 2016, <coughs> and I think you succumbed to the pressure, to the lack of sleep, to the incessant travelling. Uh, you were pretty irritable on the day when you lost your temper at a steward's inquiry. From all reports, yep. you raised your voice to the chief steward. You slammed yep. the door of the steward's room and stomped out. And I suppose you knew straight away you wouldn't be getting away with that one. No, I, 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 I did a bit more than that too. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I had a few choice words to say. Um, oh, did you? Yeah. And I, I do regret that. Um, as, uh, as much as I was, as how I felt at that time, mm. uh, you know, this the sort of, there's a few things that, that I don't agree with. I, I don't agree with, uh, that stewards who who are um, who are the head of the judicial system have got attention to social media in the stewards room. I think that's I think that sort of like um, cheapens the judicial system itself. I think that's to 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 look at social media in a stewards room on a race day. I think why do it myself? Mm. But uh, and and I was coming under. It was a little bit of a joke. There's a little bit of a joke with me, um, not so much now, maybe, but at least back then. Um, why don't you just get a seat in the steward room? Because every single race that went by, uh, why did you do this? Why did you do that? Why did you blah, 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 we'll adjourn this and whatever. Yeah? Yeah. And, and, and as I was saying, um, the, menta- the, the theory that I had on riding was to be smooth mm. and a lot of times less is better than worse, but... And people on social media, they want they want to see action, mm. but but the good good riding is there's nothing to see to the untrained eye. To the trained eye, there is. Mm. Uh, but um, but anyways, but I was coming under this, you know, to me undue scrutiny. Every every meeting, every race, mm. and and Shane wasn't happy with the way I won, and and I just it's just spilled over. You were feeling victimised at this stage. I was. I was for sure, yeah, I was for sure, and uh, and as much as I was feeling, I said things to Shane that I shouldn't have said, 
Um, no one deserves to be spoken like that, no matter what. Um, uh, I could have chosen my words uh, a lot better, but it's something that sort of I got off my chest and, and it was the wrong, wrong way to go about it. But, um, yeah, but that cost me, a, I think it was a month, I think. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, but, but I, I sort of got a good, I think, you know, at the moment I've got a pretty reasonable working relationship with uh, both the stewards and this area and, and with Shane. And, um, and there's something that I'd like to think I don't expect any favours. I just want to be treated, feel like I'm treated. Uh, the same as any other bloke, and um, you know, we, we I think I've got a good work relationship with the stewards at the moment for sure. Yeah, now, Greg, we're running out of time, but I've still got three or four questions I must ask. Mm-hmm. Now, when you look at the enormous number of rides you've had, sometimes on bad horses and sometimes on substandard tracks, you've been fairly lucky overall when it comes to injury. You were involved in that nasty one at Tamworth 18 months ago when Rachel King, Kath Bell Pittermack, Wendy Peel, Josh Adams, five of you came down. That was a nasty one. Uh, And you tell me Josh has just started off again, uh, we believe, in Queensland. You were also in a multiple spill one day in a mudgy cup. But overall, I think you'd be looking back on it with gratitude. Yeah, I sort of – I got – I've been fortunate with the falls. Um, I, I sort of, whether I've learnt to fall properly, uh, I've, I, I got off to a rough start. I had some um, some bad ones early in the piece. Makes, and I, not all my fault, but some of them were because uh, because I didn't have the reaction time to get out of the road in enough time due to the wasting, as I spoke about earlier. Um, wasn't all there in the mind and the strength. Uh, I had one at Forbes uh, where. Unfortunate for Jamie, uh, Jamie Whitney. Um, yeah. he, he just crossed me. I just clipped his heels. Mm. I think any normal horse would have stood up, mm. but that horse that the horse fell, mm. and the horse had fallen on me the start before also, mm. and it, and it had and then the next start it fell again. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but, uh, but that fall there, the field come over the top of me, and I broke four ribs. I broke my sternum, oh. um, punctured my lung. Yeah. And uh, and bled internally. They didn't miss and you. <laughs> no, I really got my guts kicked in, to, so to speak. Yes. And and uh, and I went to Forbes, and there wasn't a doctor there. There was doctors there, but not one that could punch the holes in me to let the blood out. Um, <laughs> so I was I was sort of drowning in my own blood. Oh my and, god! And uh, so I had to wait for this specialist woman to come over from Orange, mm. and by the time she got there, I could barely breathe. And uh, she punched a couple of holes in me. I, I don't know what it was, but it, it seemed like it was a corkscrew just going through the side of my rib cage. Yeah, yeah. And when she got through, the claret just poured out of the side of me. Mm. And, and um, anyways, so I ended up back in Orange Hospital. And I spent about four days in intensive care mm. uh, there, and uh, that was the nastiest one. You wouldn't want to credit it. Uh, my very first ride back was on the same track at Forbes as the same distance. <laughs> Oh, and I, this is what happens, yeah. And I, and I was looking out the barriers thinking, wasn't that long ago I was laying there, bloody, yeah. uh, pretty bunged up. But anyways, but I, but I, I put that out of my mind and, and um, that's, that was early in the piece. But that was the worst of them. Yeah. Um, I've had many since and besides concussions, I've got out of them pretty good. Now, Greg, there was one funny one. 
and, and I'll get you to explain this quickly because we really are starting to hurt for time. But your friend and mine, Cole Hodges, told me yeah. this story. I don't know what track it was or, or what horse it was, but something bolted with you across the infield at the races, propped in front of a tree, hurled you into the fork of the tree, and you were literally hanging upside down until somebody could come and collect you. Did your foot get stuck? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's funny. This, the blokes tell me it's funny to see, but um, but it felt funny too because, uh, well, not at the time, but I sort of like he just propped and I went over the horse's head, yeah. um, more or less doing a handstand on the horse. Mm. And as I come down, my foot was, as you say, got caught in the fork of the tree. And not that it went on for a long time, but I thought, I'm stuck up here. <laughs> and I give you... <laughs> And, uh, and not that I was that high neither, but, but you know, probably about the same height as me off the, off the ground. And I, I actually gave my leg a bit of a shake and fell yeah. out of the tree. Yeah. But, um, but uh, yeah, but it was quite amusing. But I've, I've seen some funny things. I could, I could tell you some funny things I've seen over the years in bush tracks that are really amusing, but yeah. we haven't got time for that. But that was one of them, yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, we'll do another interview one day with Greg Ryan's funny stories. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Now, Greg, we've mentioned your darling Pauline several times yep. already, but we haven't paid her the tribute she deserves as a wife, as a mum, as a grandmother, and a jockey manager. She's pretty good at that caper too. Yeah, a- anybody that's had uh, dealings with me over the years will will know just how big a role uh, Pauline has on on me being where I've been sort of thing because um without her it never would have happened and uh and she, she's she's worked hard for she in in the early stages she she worked at the high school in administration mm. and uh and in the days when mobile phones first come out they were the size of a brick um she was she used to work down in the uh home economics department mm-hmm. and she would take the mobile phone down down there and be doing two jobs <laughs> work at the school and booking yeah. my rides also, yeah. and eventually got too busy. And I said, "Look, just quit school, work for me." Yeah, and and really took off from there. But she has been on the ball for thirty years, and and you know, I, I, I kicked the goal when I met Pauline for sure. Her contribution is immeasurable. Yes, I, w- I never would have got half as far, you know. So now, Greg, we've mentioned Isaac the arborist, but we yep. haven't mentioned your daughter Kayla, who lives in Queensland. And she is the mother of your two granddaughters, Ruby and Georgie. Yep, yeah, that's that, that's killing us at the moment. The borders are shut, and we can't get to see them. So that, that's uh, particularly Pauline is killing Pauline. Mm. Uh, but yeah, Kayla's Kayla's a terrific girl, terrific worker. Um, she works for Nambour Council up there uh, in the accounts. She does the accounts, and um, and she's she's a she, she's a, a you know, she's got a really good attitude to life, Kayla, and um, she's a terrific work. And, and she's and the, her and her husband Dave are doing a, a really good job of raising two beautiful girls. So, so you can't ask for much more. Now, Greg, you are fifty-four years old. You're a very fit, healthy fifty-four. You're seven or eight years younger than Robert Thompson, the only man in Australia who's ridden more winners than you have. Uh, and I imagine people like Jeff Lloyd, who retired last year after winning three Brisbane premierships 
He was almost 58 when he gave it away. And let's not forget Bossy, who won the Cox Plate on Saturday on Sir Dragon A. I'm sure Bossy's turned 51. You must be inspired by that. Yeah, well, the both you just mentioned, you know, all terrific riders too. And, and, and you don't ride for that long without being a terrific rider. And Glenn's a great rider. He's like, I really like his style. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Jeff's different style altogether. But they've all got their uh, reason for their longevity uh, and, and their success, you know. So, um, yeah, sort of whether I last as long as them fellas, I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah, but they've done a terrific job on those. Robert and and uh, Bossy and and Jeff, they've done a, such a marvellous job mm. to go as long as they did. And, and the only reason, I say, as I say, you don't last that long unless you can ride. Mm. And um, and they they've done a marvellous job to free them. Now I posed this question to Pauline the other day on the phone, and the question was, has this bloke given the slightest indication of when he might give it away? She said, "There hasn't been the slightest sign." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, well, it's, it's sort of uh, it's a hard decision. Like once you do it, you've done it, you know. And that's mm. when you give it away. That's it. You've given it away. Uh, and at my age, you wouldn't have to give it away for long, and there'd be no coming back. No. Um, so it's a it's a big decision to make. Um, the thing that's sort of on my it's not. The riding uh, that bothers me, you know, sort of, you know, that I, I was sort of like I missed the competition. Uh, but the thing that, that I have to make a decision about is the lifestyle. Um, to I've been on a restricted diet for many a year now, and I know at the few times where I haven't been on it, mm. and you just feel that 10 years younger again when you've got weight on you. Mm. And and that's that's the biggest decision for me at the moment is, you know, how much longer should I ride? Should I stay on this diet for? Um, I know, you know, when I'm up around the 60 kilo mark, how much better I feel. Mm. Um, so that's the dilemma in my mind at the moment. And there's no, I might ride for 10 years, I might ride for one. There's, there's, yeah. there's none of that. You know, I'll, I'll wake up one day and say, no, that'll do me. That, and, exactly, um, yeah. No, so, yeah. So there's no set date as such. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Greg, you've been an absolute ornament to the game as a champion jockey and a champion bloke, and your contribution to country New South Wales racing can never, ever be calculated. Congratulations on a magnificent job well done, and thank you for giving me so much time on a podcast which is long overdue. Yeah. It's a pleasure, John. Pleasure to talk to you, and... um. You know, and we miss your calling. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. And this podcast was brought to you by Supernova Sound. <laughs>